hard part is that in South Carolina, I came through a time of Jim Crow, and we were not allowed to use the public libraries. We were not allowed to use concert halls. And of course, in my great-grandmother's time, it was against the law to read and write. When my play Wedding Band was done on uh, ABC television, produced by Joseph Papp, he had done it first at the New York Shakespeare Festival. It was about South Carolina and uh, interracial relationships and uh, about the 1916 and 18. It was banned in eight stations out of 168. And one of them uh, was South Carolina, Charleston, where I was born. Uh, they said it could be seen after midnight only. So what I am saying, that the coming out of the whole Jim Crow experience was what I and many others had to do. And uh, it was very often difficult, but it made me find my writing material in Harlem and in Charleston and in the islands there. And that took me to Africa. I also went to Ghana. What I'm saying, theater comes from strange places, mm -hmm. that it comes from the people, it comes from the earth, that I found the scenes they were playing without thinking of it as becoming a writer. And uh, so I give this to others as best I can. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Classics Podcast, Reclamation, an intervention in the current conversation around theater history, where we recenter and uplift the Black writers and storytellers of the American theater, both the celebrated and the forgotten. I'm Dominique, your host for this episode, number four in our series exploring the life, work, and legacy of Alice Childress. In our last episode, we focused on the politics that informed Childress, as well as the political conditions around her. Today, we're going to be talking to the members of the company of, the, of Childress's massive and sprawling play, Wedding Band, which was recently up at Theater for a New Audience, helmed by Classics founder Awoye Tempo. Awoye is joined by Classic members Arminda Thomas and Brittany Bradford, as well as legendary performer, director, and our spiritual godmother, Elizabeth Van Dyke, and scenic designer Jason Artizone West. I'm so excited to have all these amazing thinkers joining us today. All right, everybody. Hey, so we are joined today by um, Awoye Tempo, Arminda Thomas, and Jason Artizone West to continue talking about um, the design for Wedding Band, which has me so excited because Jason's scenic design was, you know, as everyone knows, definitive. It was, it's one of one and it's only number one. And so I'm so excited to talk to Jason and Awoye about collaboration and the thought process behind um, really helping to create Wedding Band and birth what it came, came out to be. My first question for Jason and Awoye is, how did the two of you meet? And what was the first moment of collaboration between the two of you? Oh, I want to hear your version of the story, Jason. How we first met? We first met working on Good Grief, right? At the yeah. Vineyard Theater. You know, our, our first conversation was about theater and art and life and specifically good grief and I feel like we've been uh, continuing that conversation through various projects and and non-projects ever since what was that 2018 yeah it must have been yeah we were looking for scenic designers and someone for from the vineyard sent um over Jason's 
info and website. And I remember going through the website. First of all, Jason's website is amazing. Everybody should go there right now. But there's a section called spatial dramaturgy. And at the time, I was just thinking about space and design. And I just remember seeing that section, which is just images of just pictures of, you know, just things around town, sometimes walls, sometimes like floors, sometimes buildings. Um, and I was like, oh, this person is so cool. I love how they're thinking about design and thinking about space. So I was like, oh, I think that's our guy. And then also Jason had also been collaborating with a designer who we both love named Ez Devlin. And so then when we first connected, we were like, oh, we're excited. It was so exciting to talk to him. Oh, we're thinking about similar things. And then over the course of the past four years, we've just been evolving artistically together. So that's been really cool. Yeah, totally. I forgot about the spatial dramaturgy page part of our, our origin story. <laughs> but it, it reminds me that what's so important to me is the process of collaboration and creating and what's so unique about Wedding Band and really every project that you lead away is the really deep process. And, you know, the uniqueness, for example, of a set designer, director, and dramaturg getting to kind of kick off the creative process together so early and in such a deep way. That's so cool. <laughs> And so we know the two of you had worked together before in the past, but I'm really curious when you knew um, that we were going to be able to do Wedding Band and how those conversations started. Classics um, had reached out to Theater for a New Audience and said, hey, we would love to do a reading series of classic Black plays. Is that something that you would be interested in hosting? And they were really excited about the idea. And so, you know, we were thinking about um, which play to do. We all knew that we wanted to do Alice Childress. So then the question became, which Alice Childress play to do? Because I had conversations with every single person on the team to say, which plays are we most excited about? Which ones do we want to share? So actually, Dominique and Arminda, you can both share too what your arguments were for doing this play. My argument for Wedding Band was really that I had seen um, a, a reading of it in 2017 that uh, Elizabeth Van Dyke did with going to the River Festival. And I was just blown away. And so in my heart in 2017, I wanted to do a production of, of Wedding Band. So for me, um, when we started talking about what to do and we wanted to do a full length play, and so it was gonna be Trouble in Mind or Wedding Band. And for me, Trouble in Mind is a great play, a beautiful play, a wonderful play, and a play that I think appeals to theater people, um, you know, on a, just kind of on a gimme level, but Wedding Band just felt, uh, so deep and like there was so much there and, and and I just really wanted to do it. So that was the argument I made. It was, yay, yay, please can we do Wedding Band? Please can we do Wedding Band? I think there was a lot of begging. Yeah, and for me, I think, you know, Trouble in Mind is my favorite play um, for a lot of reasons for what Childress is trying to get at. And I think for some of the really big sort of existential and ontological questions that the play raises. But Wedding Band for me, does something a little bit different and this might sound funny but but i think that black people being able to deal with hate is important and i think black people being able to deal with hate 
in a way that is not like, oh, we have to overcome hatred because love does something that it really doesn't do. Um, and I think that Wedding Band and Julia specifically being able to have her hatred, being able to hold her hatred close to her um, and to transform it into something else is really important. And also, you know, I think that there is a lot of sort of less interesting discourse around interracial relationships happening in theater. And I think Wedding Band really cuts through in a way that is so important and so necessary. And so that was the, the big argument I was making. And I think that one of the reasons that we thought to approach theater for a new audience is the, the, the theater is one of the few spaces in New York that really is actually committed to classical work and also has a really beautiful space because you can do so much in that space. It's very flexible. And because um, so much of their mission is geared toward interpretation and imagination. It really felt like, oh, that feels like a good partnership for, as a playground. Even just doing the reading in that space was really special because we could engage with the audience in an interesting way. And then, you know, a week after the reading, the theater called the three of us. We all went to theater for a new audience and they said, hey, we would love to do a production of this play. And then approximately a month later, everything shut down. But I think it was probably eight or nine months before the production that we found out, yes, we're doing this. And Jason, we had probably a good eight or nine months to start thinking about what the world of the play might be. And I know that there was a trip to the Carolinas, um, but I'm really curious, Jason, what your experience of reading Wedding Band was that first time and linking into conversations with the Woye and what those sort of things unlocked for you and thinking about how to design the play. It's such a powerful play. And the designer answer to that is the first thing I thought when I was reading the play was, oh, wow, this is written very, not, not naturalistically, but specifically describing this set uh, and the space. And that I, I kind of had this gut feeling that Oboye and I were not going to be interested in doing a naturalistic, um, realistic, you know, cin cinematic sort of space making for this for this piece of theater. And I couldn't picture it at all, which is always a really exciting place for me to start is when I read a script and I have no idea what the space is going to be. And that was really my first takeaway from the script is like, wow, I have no idea how we're going to do this. And I'm super excited to dive into this process because there's so much trust and with a way in our process of, of collaborating and figuring out how we're going to find, you know, what, how are, how are we going to want to gather people in this room, this particular room to tell the story. And so the, the decision to travel to Charleston was such a great way to kick off. And that really was the kickoff of the design process um, of just without thinking about the specifics of architecture necessarily, just kind of going to the place where the story comes from and where Alice Childress's history comes from um, and trying to commune with that and, and let that sort of guide us. That was a great, great place to start. 
how did the idea for going to Charleston happen? That was a ways idea. Yeah, I can't remember <laughs> when it first came up. And I was like, we need to go to Charleston. And so I texted or called Jason on our window and I was like, you want to go to Charleston? And they were like, uh, yeah. So we just figured out a time in our schedule we could go and we mapped out three days. And and as Jason said, then that was really the beginning. Well, and the first half of the trip for me, I was interested in architecture. I was thinking about the the cottages and and trying to figure out where this play would have taken place if we were doing a movie version of it. Like, can we find the house or the backyard? Can we find the series of structures? Can we figure out what this this would look like? And then by the end of the trip, um, really the last day, we went on this amazing bus tour, uh, Black History bus tour of Charleston. And then was it John's Island, I think we went to? And that trip, I think, really unlocked a lot for all of us, particularly for me, design-wise, which is like kind of moving beyond looking at houses and looking more at the earth and sweet grass and water and thinking about layers of history and the world of the play in a much more fundamental, um, abstract way. I think it helped that the, the night before we went on that trip was the night that we sat down and we read the whole script together out loud. And it just kind of seeded. We didn't read all the stage directions, but you have the descriptive of the house and the structures and how these and how these buildings relate to one another. But when you listen to the language, it's all about dirt and trees. And, you know, it, it's something that is so like grounded in ground, grounded in the earth, that I think it kind of um, opened up the space and us to think about it in, in a different way. I mean, and I think, you know, that Awoye and Jason are prone to that space anyway, but I think that it gave us permission to kind of turn our minds that way. I love that. It's funny to enter into a new city or a new world and there's like things that you can hold on to right so we knew that we had street names that are mentioned in the play we knew that we had you know Arminda had done one of her deep dives to find out where the Childress family home was you know so we had addresses for things and we that was kind of a guide but first the level of engagement with the city but then I think as we were there we started to kind of feel the energy and the spirits of, of the city, but it really just began with us. The first day we just got there, we just started walking. Um, we went to the library. Um, we went to an African-American cultural center that had a lot of resources. It was really a special time. Just hearing you talk about dirt, I think one of the things that the production and the set really did for me, aside from like sort of breaking down but not every play needs to happen in a home with a sink and a kitchen and a kitchen sink, um, was really being able to think about dirt, right? We get trapped, I think, in American theater because we make things about homes. And when you make things about homes, at least for me as an audience member, I'm always trying to figure out how people got this house, right? Like what, what made it possible for you to get this house in the first place? Because there are a lot of systems at work that make it so some people don't have houses. Um, and what does it mean, right, to even have a house on stolen land? How do these, th these two things work in relation to each other? But by making this about the dirt 
by making it about the land, which I think is so deeply entrenched in Running Man, it felt like I was able to look at a lot of different things I was able to hear because I wasn't having to contend with the history of a house. I was able to contend with the history of the land in a way that is usually being um, clouded out by the this literal structures on stage. And I always thought that was effective and interesting in a way to tell the story. And so I'm curious, what are the models that get built? What are the sort of takes and design concepts that get built in order for you to land on the physical production? It's such a great question. And it's, it was such an interesting process in that I think we pretty early on boldly decided this is not about houses, to your point. Um, this is, you know, Childress is really writing about the land and uh, boundaries, per like communal boundaries and personal boundaries, and um, not about the specifics of the porch necessarily. It's it's about the you know the human interactions that happen on a porch versus in a yard versus in a house, but it's not about the porch and the house, and then. You have to start working through the play and seeing what you actually need to do the play. And we kept coming back to the bed, the bed, the bed. Where is the bed going to go? Because the bed is so important. Um, it kept feeling like it was in our way at the same time, like the requirements of the bed. Away. I, I'm curious what your memory of this is, but I feel like we kept talking about the bed and trying to figure out where the bed should be in the space and what what its relationship should be to the human bodies in the room and it took us a while to discover it um, and i think we did discover it in the end but when you have this initial clarity of abstracting and essentializing and distilling and stripping away i think it's so baked into the american theater making process of feeling like you need stuff to tell the story. And it's one of the many, many things that I love about working with Oye is this real kind of rigor of like, okay, what do we actually need to tell the story and what do we not need? And and that was a continual process of, of figuring that out, both kind of through model building and image making and storyboarding, but then also with the actors in the room, what do the actors need to tell their story? in this story and that's a different level of of discovery as well and then when we're in the real space and we have the real architecture of the room there's another set of discoveries of what's needed um, that part was challenging and rigorous and very satisfying to 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 really distill down to to the essential objects and spatial relationships and i'll just add jason <laughs> Because I remember, and Dominique, you remember because you 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 saw a number of different of different versions of the yeah the scenic decks yes, <laughs> and at certain points we had um, a platform that was Julia's bedroom because obviously that's an important space that felt like it required some sort of isolation. And I remember, and it was pretty deep into the process, Jason, that we were trying to figure out what's the ground? Do we just embrace the ground of the theater? Do we create a new ground? And one day we were just like, what if the whole thing is just the dirt? And then Jason goes away and in his brilliance just adds a whole bunch of dirt to the floor. And then 
puts the sweet grass and then that's the world is the dirt and the earth and the sweet grass. And I think that really unlocks something for us that kind of came later, which is what is so beautiful about having a time to really go through all of the iterations of the design process. And that's why it's so exciting also to have Arminda on the team to also be a part of those conversations so that we're all looking at the design from a lot of different angles. I would be remiss as y'all keep talking about the land, you know, if I didn't talk about um, one of the greatest moments of my life, when, when the water emerges from underneath the floor and suddenly we're in a very different space. But I would just love to hear the three of you talk about the decision to actually do it and why it felt important for design, why it felt important dramaturgically, why it felt important to really make the move with the water. The realization that we had to have water came early, I think. And I'm not sure I could fully articulate why until we got a little farther into the process. I just felt inherently that, that, that we were telling the story spatially through the elements of earth and sweet grass and water and that those were this basic building block that we needed to use. Um, and then Oye and I always talk about ritual with the theater, just the ritual of people gathering in a space to share a story. Um, and in this play in particular, there seems to be some ritual built into the script, particularly at the end. And Dominique, I think you mentioned the transformation of Julia kind of at the end and the journey that she goes on. And, and after she helps Herman die, she has this total transformation. At least that's how I think we interpreted it. And the use of real water and allowing her to kind of totally shift her relationship to the elements and <clears throat> experience this this pool was a really important dramaturgical piece of the space in order to kind of fulfill the arc of that ritual. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's something about the process of staking her ground and her right to be in it and, and kind of taking over the space and making the space necessary for them to see out their vows, but she cements that choice. And in the process, they've built this dream that hinges on water, right? This dream of, of leaving and the water. And so as she evokes the image of this thing happening, that's never going to happen. It also does happen, you know, because it happens for them. You know, it's that speech activity, right? They are on the boat. They are leaving. That is happening. And it's not just a thing she's saying to comfort him. It is a thing that is freeing him and freeing her and the response to that water. You know, there's just, there's something that breaks open for the audience and, and for Julia. Yes, agreed. And I think it, um, it reiterated the point that this is Julia's story and that the death of Herman is not the end of the play. The end of the play is Julia's transformation, which we all probably agree is in the script, but I could imagine a version of this script being produced where the kind of climactic end is Herman's death. But putting this water ritual in 
really recentered the story around Julia, which I think is really important. We knew pretty early on that after Julia kicks Herman's mother and Annabelle out of her house and out of her space, that she is no longer the person that we met at the beginning of the play. She herself is in the midst of her own transformation. And we knew that we wanted the physical space that we're all in to feel different after that moment. How can the space that we feel like we're in become a brand new space? And so through the scenic design, through the water, through the lighting, through the sound. Um, I think that we discovered along the way how to um, create that space of transformation. And to the point you're making, Dominique, also, we knew that the intention of our ritual is to create a space that Julia could go through her transformation in order that we also, as the audience, can go through our own kind of liberated transformation. And so that integration of the water too, even though nobody was in it except for Julia, I think just the presence of that natural element helped energetically connect the audience even more inside of Julia's experience, thus leading to hopefully everybody's transformation in the space as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautifully said. And you'd also, oh wait, you just reminded me of something that I love, which is that there was an earlier version of this where we imagined literally transforming the space by actually having like an automated shift of Julia's, mm -hmm. you know, bedroom to the mid. There was going to be this kind of big scenic moment of uh, Julia's bedroom platform moving to the center of the space and the water surrounding her, her and her sort of being a literal island. And we had kind of a simultaneous conceptual and logistical realization, but I, but the conceptual realization is a more interesting one of physically transforming the space is not the right story to tell. What we ended up doing, which I think was much more powerful, is that the transformation of the Julia's character changes the rules of the space without anything physically moving where suddenly what used to be kind of a bedroom yard you know shared space becomes julia's space nobody else can be there except for julia and herman and so we we change the rules of the space just through how the actor inhabits the space and how the act other actors can't you know reach this boundary now. And I thought that was so powerful than having some scenic gesture of, you know, literal transformation. And the, and the water transforming the space was just enough of a kind of literal transformation without anything really moving. But I think it really ended up telling that story that we're trying to tell. The sort of feeling of catharsis, the, the sort of feeling of transformation, the feeling of liberation is actually always present in the space, even when we can't see it, um, because it comes from the land, right? It comes from the earth. Um, and I, I thought that that was beautiful, that all the things she needed were always beneath her feet the entire time. Yeah. I love that. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. This is episode four of the Classics Podcast, exploring the life, work, and legacy of Alice Childress. We're now joined by Brittany Bradford and Elizabeth Van Dyke. Hey, everybody. How y'all doing? It's so good Hi. to see you. Wonderful basis for this um, interview and conversation about making wedding bands, aka, in my most humble opinion, um, the hottest show of last season, this <laughs> season, and every season thereafter. I really want to hear about who started to think about wedding bands, um, sort of from reading it, from doing that first reading in 2020, and how it grew from that first read to what we saw on stage. Really early on is that there's four locations that we have to acknowledge. Julia's house, the porches, the yard, and then the world of Charleston. And so in every version, we had to think about how do we articulate those four worlds, even though from the beginning, we knew that we didn't need to necessarily represent them in a naturalistic way. They just, their, their energetic presence had to be, they had to be present somehow throughout the course of the process through also, you know, a couple of different configurations of the space. The first design was a proscenium and then it was a thrust, but in the opposite direction of how we ended up. And then we ended up in the long version. Um, and what that allowed us to do is then figure out, okay, where's Julia's space in here? How do the other porches and Julia's porch interact with Julia's space? Where is the world of the yard? And then where's the world of the outside? And that kind of inspired this sense that, this, it, you know, we kind of had this idea of like concentric circles. And so that's the thing that really let us live fully in the space is thinking about those four universes. I think in the doing of it, as an actor personally, I'm, I don't really care that much about like naturalism on stage. Um, and so, when Oi said that it wasn't going to be necessarily naturalistic, that there would be four walls that were going to, um, you know, show us that that was her home. I was really excited about that. And in the uh, emotionally, what it did was as soon as I entered the playing space, it really did feel like entering a boxing ring in a way. And mm -hmm. I never left it. And that was, I loved that because it felt like the invasiveness that Julia feels was automatically there because everybody was coming in and out of that space, but I was staying there the entire time. The challenge I think was that when we rehearsed it, we weren't rehearsing in the space. So I, I know Awoye can I'll probably also speak to this, but we never really got to practice with how long that space really is until we got there. And then on top of that, there's dirt and there's a little bit of a rake. And so just, just practicing like the actual biomechanics of walking around in that space and how sound bounces off of that space, which is different than a rehearsal room, was a challenge, but it was... Um, a challenge I think we were all excited to take. It felt great to be in the dirt and in that that long venue, but you have to also reach the audience. And so that was a, a unique challenge that we were excited about, I think. And there's a spirituality in the language. There's so many connections to something other than the, the world that we're on, this plane of existence. So it made sense that it wouldn't be, you know, a kitchen sink kind of situation. Actually, it has no structure. Right. It really has no structure. I did the play in 91. And who did you play? 
I don't know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I'm only saying that to say is style and things born of the times in which we're living. Not to take away from a voyage genius, but the play takes place in the backyard, right? Yeah. We do not really go into any of the homes except Julia's. And if you play it realistically, she is confined to a small space. The yard becomes very, very small. But if you fast forward, and when I first saw it, I, I didn't tell anybody in the room. I just said, wow, really? <laughs> really? Wow. Huh? Grass? What? I didn't say anything. I just kind of like, okay, okay. But it blew it open in so many ways on all levels. I think Arminda and I were talking about this. It blew the realities, the various realities, the levels of realities. It allowed for the spiritual, the emotional, the dream state, the future state, the nightmare state. You know, it allowed for all of that. It was just magical and you just had to go with it. I mean, okay, the bed is in the back. Uh, she, are you looking in the window? How, where are you looking? Or are you gonna fall in their house? <laughs> we went totally with it. I just, it just was, beautiful. It was definitive. And I, Dominic, I can really say without hesitation that this is probably the most definitive wedding band for the next 50 years. I can honestly, honestly say that. And I have a little bit of perspective. I'd love to know, Brittany and Elizabeth, what did it mean to have the chance to really embody and to engage with this text. You wanna start? No, you go. <laughs> um, this was an incredible surprise gift, getting to do this play. Um, I don't know how much to go into like the casting of it. Is that okay? As okay. much as you want, yeah. Okay, so because you know I'm part of classics and so I knew we were doing this play and we're, they were having a hard time finding Julia and. I was over here being like, what about this person? And what about this person? Which in hindsight is hilarious because it, it feels so much like something that needed to happen for me at this time in my life artistically. And um, at some point, I think Aurea, you were the first person to send me a message because they thought I was busy with another project. And both Aurea and Arminda, I guess on the same day were like, is Brittany busy? And then asked me and I said, no, I'm free. And this time, like I really sat down and read the play and I thought, oh, this is this is mine, you know, not to claim ownership of it in, in too much of a of a graspy way. But I really felt drawn emotionally to Julia, but I also felt like it was just slightly out of reach. And 
for me personally as an artist, that's the kind of thing that I want to be a part of, something that I don't quite know how to do or what it is right away. There has to be, you know, we have a rehearsal for a reason. And I want to be able to have something that is you have to reach for a little bit. So um, going into it, I'd only I found out I got cast maybe a week before we started. So it was all all of the discoveries, three. What is that? Three days. That's oh, three, three days. days. Three days. <laughs> Again, I was so generous. <laughs> three days before we started. And so all of the learning, I mean, there wasn't, I love doing prep. There was just not, that wasn't going to be a lot of it. It was just reading the play over and over. Um, and the best thing that could have happened other than being able to collaborate with Awoye and Arminda was that every single actor in that space, I could tell, cared about this play. And we all were like, we have to dive into this. And we're bringing themselves fully and their own experiences. And I just, it was, it was all in the language, but it was just, how are we going to crack it open? So um, yeah, just, just, just diving into that was an incredible gift. And I feel I can say definitively that it's the best theatrical experience I've, I've been a part of. Um, I'm trying to think of specifics, just being able to have Arminda uh, have different drafts of the play that we got to be able to look at, being able to trust uh, Awoye because I know her. And whenever I would get scared in certain moments, I remember a couple of rehearsals being like, I can't do this. Like, this is just too much. This is not sustainable. And, but trusting her more than I trust myself sometimes. I mean, like, I guess if she says I can do it, then I can do it. Um, and having incredible scene partners who are all invested. Um, I can't even speak enough about how important that is in doing a play like this. This was undoubtedly one of the best artistic experiences I've ever had. It was a gift given to me and I appreciate it. It was art at its highest. We were all striving for the highest. We had Owoye and Arminda had done the work, done the work, had a vision. They were caring, they were knowledgeable. They had a direction. They had a team where we were all together going for a goal with love, with respect, with amazing material. It was incredible on every level you were cared for, you were cared about and you were caring and you wanted to give your all. It was just incredible. Uh, you had everything you could possibly need. You had the vocals, you had the movement, Lord help us, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> You had the stairs. God help us. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you had it all. It was just, and the music, it was just stunning. And I had, I didn't realize, I had originally thought, oh, Fanny's, Fanny's funny. She's mm -hmm. just funny. Woo hoo ha ha. But the deeper I got into it, she's not, but she has so many levels. That was a pleasant surprise. Exploring all those levels. It was delicious. It was <laughs> I, I also feel like what 
you did so well away that I really loved was the tradition that we had of every single play we said that this is Alice Childress's wedding band. You know, we never, it never, yes, it was us coming together, but it was in service of Alice Childress. And I don't think any of us ever forgot that. And we were always constantly saying her name and bringing her to the space, whether it was Arminda bringing writings that she had or just talking about, you know, her life or the circumstances of like actually doing what this do, having done this play before um, and what the climate was. But we always were aware and honoring Alice Childress. And I do feel like when you are doing things and you know, honoring something bigger than yourself, whatever that may be. And that collective, we, we all agree on that. It elevates it. Like you want to, you want to step up to that. Thanks, Brittany. And, you know, I'll say that ritual is a ritual I borrowed from Ruben on actually five different plays, but I think three August Wilson plays. That's what we did at the end of every single rehearsal before every single performance. It was very grounding. It just felt great to connect with everybody every single day, you know? Yeah, it was really beautiful. It really did feel like a company in that way, it, that it wasn't hierarchical, which I think a lot of rehearsal spaces can be, which I don't think is beneficial in that everyone's like, well, you go to a stage manager if you have an issue, and then you go to like the director for every, you know, it was just this expectation that one person knows everything as opposed to, I always felt like, oh, oh I did know everything probably, but that she was still in process, just like all of us were in process. And so maybe all of the time also, she wouldn't be the right person to ask a certain question to. Maybe it's Renee for movement, or maybe we're talking to Andrew for voice or Arminda and that sense of staying in process as long as possible and that that doesn't end when the show begins is not something that's just inherent in every show. I wish it was, but some people are like, okay, opening has happened. This is the thing and this is locked in. But even when we'd circle up and we'd say the name of the play, we also always had like a word that was associated with what we were doing that day. Like, and everybody always contributed to that. And um, I, what I loved was like, when we switched the blocking to me coming out by myself, which I was like, oh no, <laughs> because I, you know, we start, started it by myself and it was the right decision, but I, I missed having everybody together. Um, Tommy would wait for me to tell he knew that I was coming on and we would have a moment by ourselves of saying, what do we want to do today? And I do think that that probably helped. And like, we were always had a, a something that we were working on. Um, and a goal in mind. And it, it really did feel a lot deeper. It really did by the end of it. I don't know if this is going to sound like it ties, <laughs> but it makes me think of the concentric circles that you were talking about, Oye, because I, I've never as an actor thought so much about how to share a piece with an audience. Yeah, I've just never been a part of a process that we really did talk about that a lot. And whether that was with you or with Andrew Wade, who did voice about how do you stay true to this play and not try to dumb it down in some way for the people watching it, but still want to share this play and have them come into it, but also treating it like a new play, not like a play that has been around for as long as it has, even though it has, because this is the first time a lot of people are hearing it. So how do you let the language really soar while also still having the connections to one another. Um, that it's just really interesting what this play asked of the audience and the, the company. Thank you so much to Brittany Bradford, Elizabeth Van Dyke, Jason Artisone West, and Awoye Tempo for joining us this week. And thank you all for listening. 
Next week, we'll dive into a conversation led by Arminda with a company of directors to talk about directing children's plays. Our sound editor is Aubrey Dubay. The theme song was composed by Alfonso Horn. For more information on Alice Childress, please visit the classics with an X, not org, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. See you next week.